0: Today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 1 to 14. If you'd like to follow it on the overhead projector, it is there for you. Warning from Israel's history. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact Brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil. things Evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. the things he's prepared for us this morning. Father, we pray that as we listen, we will hear hear what you have to say for us. Amen.
1: Can you just give us a hand move in this? Because otherwise I'm... Oh, look at... He just wants to show how strong he is. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, My sermon almost got absolutely soaked through when I knocked over some water, but you'll be very glad to hear that it's saved and it didn't get wet. So you get to hear all of it, so aren't you lucky and I was joking um, so the last few weeks I've been like leading almost every service and I was joking with everybody that whoever brought me cards, dropping hints it was my birthday and whoever brought me cards and presents would get to go home early and the rest of you who didn't um, will have to stay here for the full four hours. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of you are staying unless you can quickly rustle up a card. <laughs> but um, today's reading is is one of two halves really um, it starts with Paul writing to a church in Corinth about um, Israel's history and the ways in which they've fallen short, the mistakes that they've made, um, and the trials that they've been through. And then the second half of the reading is an encouragement, a reminder that God is still faithful. And you may or may not know your Bible very well, and that's okay, um, I, when I, went to, I went to university to study theology and youth work, and this was the first time I'd even put these stories together and realized that they were all linked. So <laughs> don't worry. And I've been coming to church since I was a wee lad. So don't worry if you don't know your Bible very well. But I'm going to tell us the story of Israel um, from its beginning to around the time of Jesus, kind of in very short and potted. And so the story starts in Egypt with Joseph and the Technicolor coat. You may know him, he was in a film once, and um, he had dreams, and at the end of that story, he moves his family to Egypt, um, kind of to save them from a famine, and that's all great, happy story. But then about 400 years after that, um, this is where I didn't make the link, um, we come to a time when that, that original family have grown, and they've had kids, and their kids have had kids, and their kids have had kids, and their kids have had kids, and there are quite a lot of them. Um, in egypt and the current king the pharaoh starts to worry he sees all these foreigners in his um in his city and he's like or in his country and he's like what are we going to do with these people they're quite strong they could overpower us at any time and i was going to at this point make some satirical quip about immigration but i'm not going to do that um this is not the place to be (laughs) politically or trying to be funny And so the pharaoh decides that what he can do, what what can he do with all these people? So he enslaves them, makes them all into his slaves and forces them to work really hard on building and digging holes and making bricks and just generally not being very nice. But that doesn't really solve the issue. They keep multiplying, they keep getting stronger, and he's like, what can I do? So he comes up with this pretty gruesome plan to kill all the babies, which is not very nice. A lot of that happens in the Bible and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And... uh, But yeah, so the pharaoh orders this, and one mum that we know of decides to save her baby by putting him in a basket and chucking him in the river. A lot more gentle than that. And he's rescued by a princess, and he's raised as um, an Egyptian, and we know him as Moses. And um, he grows up to be a man, and he sees an Egyptian slaver, I guess you'd call him beating uh, a slave really hard and he's like I can't I can't stand this this is wrong so he steps in and kills the the slaver and it's which isn't right I'm not saying that that's an appropriate response but he did and he fears for his life he's like oh what have I done everyone's he thought oh, everyone yeah would be happy but they weren't so he runs away he runs into the desert runs away And then God calls him back through, I said this wrong in the first service this morning, I said the flame, I can't remember what I said, probably a flaming shrubbery, but it's not, it was a burning bush, so God calls him through the burning bush and says, you're going back to Egypt, Uh, you're going to go speak to Pharaoh, you're going to be the spearhead of my campaign to set the slaves free. Moses, after lots of arguing, coming up with as many excuses as he could, finally relents and goes off to Egypt. And some of us will know how that goes. Ten plagues later, lots of toing and throwing, and Pharaoh finally says, Fine, get out of here, take your people, don't want to see you again. So they go. And the Israelites are ecstatic. They think, Finally, God has heard our cries. Pharaoh, however, changes his mind, as is his want. And he gives chase, he sends the armies sends the armies out after them. And God leads his people to this place called the Red Sea, and it's just this massive expanse of water. And so the Israelites, they've just left Egypt, they're ecstatic, but then they feel the army behind them, they see the water ahead of them, the phrase rock and a hard place come to mind, and they lose it. All the hope and the joy they had is summed up in this. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have we done, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. So it didn't take very long for them to forget that they'd just been rescued, and they were like, oh, I wish we, why have you brought us here, just to die? But God does this miracle through Moses, he parts the Red Sea, they walk through on the dry seabed, and then the waters crash back over and wash away the Egyptians. Can you imagine going from the sheer terror to sheer elation on the other side of a stretch of water? But again, it doesn't take long for the Egyptians, or the Israelites, sorry, to start to doubt God. About two months. And they start to pine after being in Egypt, predictably because their bellies are starting to rumble. And they start to say, well, at least in Egypt, we had roofs over our heads and food in our tummy. Um, we're just, this is rubbish. So God hears them, provides food, bread in the morning and meat in the evening. And eventually he leads them to this place called Mount Sinai, which is a particularly holy mountain, and where God is going to give them the new rules for this new nation that they're going to set up. And they're radical ways of living. If you look at the time, and the rules that he gives them are completely different to every other nation that was About The rules do not murder. They might look to us as if, well, obviously, you shouldn't murder. But at the time, it's quite a radical idea. And so we know these as the Ten Commandments, the two big slabs of stone. And they're the basis of all the other laws that then come out of the Bible. But while Moses is up on the mountain getting these rules, the Israelites get a bit bored and decide to gather all of their gold together and just create a massive statue of a calf, to worship. These are people who have been led by a pillar of cloud, I forgot to mention that bit, and a pillar of fire in the evening. They've literally had God in front of them, walking them. They've walked through the sea on the dry riverbed. They've been fed every morning, fed every evening. They've been released from slavery, from their cruel and terrible lives. And they're at the mountain getting this. And they still go and mess it up. God doesn't give up on them though. He says to them, I'm sure it was with a sigh. I'm sure if I was God, I would have put a sigh in there. I've got this place for you. We're going to call it the promised land. I promise this place for you. And it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. It's perfect for you. You've got to work hard to get it. Um, but you, you can do it, I'm going to be with you. And then, so we hear about the stories of Jericho with the walls crumbling, and they, they kind of do it, but they give up a bit early. They think, well, we've got some land, let's just be happy with this. We don't need to do the whole job that God's given us. And so they settle and a few few years go by, and then eventually they start looking around at the other nations around them, and they think, we, we need a king. We haven't got a king, we need a king. Everybody else has got a king. We want a king, so we can be as great as everybody else. And God's like, you don't need a king. You've got me. I'll be your king. You don't need one. But they carry on complaining and moaning. And God finally relents and gives them a king called Saul is the first one. Then we have David, his son. No, he's not his son, is he? No, ignore that. It's not his son. Uh, David of uh, Goliath slaying fame. And then we have Solomon after that, who was quite wise. But after that, the kings get progressively worse. There's not much good about them. There's a couple that are all right, but mostly they're terrible. And they're led into war after war with other nations, completely ignoring that whole do not murder thing, which leads to them being conquered by other nations. Their temple that they fought so hard to build Is destroyed and the story of Israel in the Bible is one of of almost but just not quite and Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is a reminder of this history asking them to look back at their past look back at who you've been look at your ancestors don't make the same mistakes that they made don't become idolaters Keep yourselves pure and don't misbehave sexually. Don't test God and don't grumble. Paul is is begging the church in Corinth not to make the same mistakes. Now I wonder what Paul's letter, if he was alive today, would look like if he was writing to your house (laughs) or to this church. What would he write in there as warnings to you? But the story of Israel isn't just one of of continuing failure after failure. It's also a story that shows us God's heart for people. It's a reminder that he loves us so much that he is willing to continually over and over again pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And yet we all still fall short. (laughs) But it doesn't, importantly, change God's view of us. He is still faithful. He still loved the Israelites, and he still poured out his blessing and his privilege upon them. And today, he still loves each one of us, and he still pours out his blessing and his privilege upon us. No matter how far we may have fallen short, or how far we have strayed from the path, he still loves us. And he still pours out his blessing and privilege upon us. And I guess that's the point of the continuing story. We get to Jesus, uh, who has to come to reconcile the fact that we continually mess it up. There's no amount of blessing or privilege that's going to help keep us on the straight and narrow. No amount of good stuff was ever going to be enough to help us understand that nature of God. So then Paul then goes on to write what the theme of the the service is. So if you think you're standing tall, be careful that you don't fall. And throughout Jesus' ministry, the subject that gains the most irksome bits of his nature and his anger are pious individuals, religious folk, lording it over ordinary people from individuals praying extra loud so everybody can hear them and hear how great their prayers are, to people making a big show of their offerings to say, look how much money I'm giving. Oh, this is so heavy. And one example of this is in, um, in dealing with a woman caught in adultery. And I'll let you kind of imagine what that means. So these people in power bring this woman to Jesus and say, she's been caught. In adultery, And uh, the law very clearly says that she has to be stoned to death. It was very different times. Don't advocate that either. And um, so they're just doing what they they should do, what the law says. And Jesus thinks this over and goes, I'm not having this. He doesn't say that. He might in his head. But he draws a line in the sand and then says, those of you who have not sinned can cast the first stone. Because Jesus points out pious people, time and time again, of those who are in danger of thinking they're standing firm. Because I know that I'm at my most vulnerable to submitting to temptation or falling short of what God knows that I can do when I think I've got it all sorted. When I think that there's no need to worry. Laura will confirm, that's my wife for you guys who don't know who she is, that I am at my weakest when I convince myself or allow myself to be convinced that I'm doing okay, that I have got this. I don't need God's help in this situation. Time and time again, I can look back over my story and see that the times I've fallen are also the times that I've been the most sure of myself or that I have felt the most secure. Secure in who I am, secure in what I'm doing, secure that I don't really need God at all. And yet, unsurprisingly, I still mess up. So the line, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall, is a direct warning to those of us who think we have it all sorted. And in this morning, we've We've celebrated the baptism of Ethan, Caitlin, and Olivia. And it's fantastic. It makes me giddy inside. (laughs) But it also marks the moment where parents and godparents stand up and say that we're going to look out for you. (laughs) Not just physically in the day-to-day stuff, but also spiritually. They've committed to praying for them, guiding them, and helping them, keeping them accountable (laughs) <laughs> and clapping and entertaining them <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> but also as a congregation right at the beginning the first things we said were that we committed to pray for them uphold them welcome welcome them it's all of our jobs and responsibilities to look out for ethan and olivia and caitlin but also to look out and care for and help for and pray for each one of us sat together Because we're all a church of people that we should all be holding each other to account. Whether that's through our home groups, our friendship groups, whether that's just on how we come together to worship. It's not easy. They're awkward, horrible questions. (laughs) But it's really essential to keep each other from harm and to building a fellowship. But the second part of the reading is the hopeful part. The bit that reminds us that God is faithful. And we're in the middle of the season of Lent, uh, which you might be able, <laughs> some people are like, I oh know, I just want some chocolate. And, uh, and you might be able to tell because we've got no banners up or anything. And during this time, people give things up, so they abstain from things. So it might be chocolate or cake or crisps. One of my friends is giving up meat for Lent. I was like, that's mental. <laughs> I mean, my wife's a vegetarian, so I don't exactly have much meat as it is, but the little I have, I treasure. And, um, and if you're really brave and stupid, you could give up tea. I think if I'd given up tea, it'd be like, I'm like preaching like this this morning. And, um, but some people take things up. I've got a friend who's living on just a pound a day, uh, which is like the, what the, most of the world's population live on a day. Um, other people who are taking up walking around their place of work and praying and things like that. But it's a really convenient time to talk about temptation because we can talk about it in the, the guise of being tempted by chocolate or a cup of tea or a bit of cake rather than talking about the big things that we don't like to talk about in church like pornography or alcohol or drugs or any of the other things that might tempt us. The thing is we all experience temptations It's part of being human. But tem- and temptation is something that comes to us all. None of us are immune, especially people who stand up here <laughs> looking snazzy in their white shoes. I figured it was my birthday, so I didn't have to wear smart shoes, so I hope you'll allow me that liberty. But it's important that to remember that being tempted isn't a sin. It really isn't a sin to be tempted and what this verse reminds us, or this, this reading, is that, that God understands through Jesus, living on earth, he knows what it's like to be us. And a couple of weeks ago, we read about Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted with food and with power and being tempted to test God. And if you get chance, do go back and listen to that sermon because Libby was fantastic. You can find it online, it's amazing. So we see that Jesus experienced temptation and he was fully human. So he knows what it's like to live a day in our shoes. And so with this in mind, God, who is always faithful, protects us from the temptations that are too much and provides a way out. I'm not saying that that it's easy to be in those positions because I know what it's like to be in that position when the temptation to do something is so overwhelming all you can see is the one way forward you can see no, no other option but just to give in and I would hate for you to think that I'm stood here telling you all that I have it all sorted that I've got some magic 12-step plan to defeat temptation because I don't <laughs> I wish I did I'd make a lot of money with a book or something but I don't I don't have the answers but what I do know and what I trust is that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And what I'd like for us to do before I finish is to share one more thought. So we've been thinking about baptism. And um, about three weeks ago, <laughs> we read about Jesus being baptized. And um, when that happened, Jesus comes up out of the water and we read in the Bible that the heavens opened and this Spirit of God came down like a dove and rested on Jesus. And then people around heard a voice that was God saying, he, This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Because the terrible thing about temptation is that it convinces us that we're worth nothing. That we are inherently bad how could god love me if i think these thoughts or if i'm even a little bit tempted by this so what i'd like for us to do is just to spend some time in quiet and repeating like a a, that phrase but personalizing it to us to ourselves repeating i am a child of god and in me he is well pleased i am a child of god and in me he is well pleased. And so we're going to have some time of quiet and then I'm going to change jobs and go over there and lead us in a song. Um, But we'll leave some time of quiet and if you'd like to come forward, if you'd like some prayer, some people will magically come and pray for you. Um, Or if you'd like to speak to people after the service, then please do. But we're just going to spend some time, so please do just repeat that line to yourselves and I'm just going to pray as I finish. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and that you love to pour out your blessing and privilege upon us. We're sorry for the times when we choose to go our own ways. Please send your Holy Spirit now to to minister to us and reveal to us how much you love us. Amen.